And I'm thinking, God, please don't let this be true. Surely this is a dream. I can't believe this is happening. And Ken, I don't know if you've ever had anything really like a catastrophe happen in your life, but it feels like everything slows down. It felt like I was watching a movie. It was an out-of-body experience. And so I grabbed my cell phone. I'm trying to dial 911. And I'm thinking, this really just didn't happen to me. And all these thoughts start going through my mind trying to live right. I've got two beautiful kids. My life is amazing. And uh, I had no idea what to do from here. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, today had a very interesting interview with Aaron Walker. Now, Aaron is an extremely successful entrepreneur started and had 12 successful businesses, now in the business of mastermind groups. But what's interesting is Aaron was so successful in life that he actually retired at age 27, found out that retirement was not what it was sort of projected to be, had a traumatic event that happened in his life. You have to listen to the podcast to hear the story. I will do it no justice. That had Aaron um, processing in basically unable to work for nearly five years. So Aaron shares that story, but the other side of it that he really talks about is he's now doing work with his company, View from the Top, on mentorship but also mastermind groups, is that we can't do it alone. You know, this life isn't meant to be hanging out in a lonely sort of environment, is that it's through relationship that we're able to grow, develop, uh, learn, get feedback from individuals who can be encouraging but also have wisdom. So on that note, you know, as we mentioned each show, the show is sponsored by CRG, is that we have a new uh, values e-course on what do you really value? And so the question is, is you know, we can have a life of success, and this is a show called Secrets of Success, but can we have a life of significance? And is success linked to significance and we'd like to suggest that it is so when you are playing to your values when you know that you know that you know then you can make the right decision nearly every time and that's the transformational experience of the e-values course what do you really value based on the values preference indicator it includes the assessment uh, there's nearly three hours of video that is part of that in all kinds of different modules 19 actually and I take you through a process that by the end of it, you will not only be clear about what you most value, but what you need to do about it and how you feel about each of your values in terms of your ranking on it. It's a very transformational uh, process. So uh, the links are in the show notes. You can go to CRG Leader eCourses, what do you really value, and that can be transformative. Thank you again for listening to Secrets of Success. If you like what we're doing, pass it on. Let somebody else know. Leave a positive review in whatever platform you're listening on. And here for today's show is our guest, Aaron Walker, who is from The View from the Top. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, I'm excited for our guest today because he has worked with many, many entrepreneurs recently around this concept of 
mastermind groups and how you can hang out with colleagues and hold each other accountable and learn from one another. And of course, that's what he's doing now, but he has so much history before that. He said before the show that he feels like he's 40, but he's 125 years old, but I didn't want to really disclose that in advance. But welcome to the show, Aaron Walker. Hey, Ken. Thanks for having me on today, buddy. I don't know about that 40 or the 125, but we're somewhere in the middle. Well, we're just going to work with the, you have 125 years of wisdom so that I don't draw any offense from my guests. How's that? That sound? sounds fun. That's perfect. You recovered quickly on that one. Way to go. <laughs> well, as a fellow podcast host. So, Aaron, uh, you know, as we delve into it uh, here at Secrets of Success, we like to hear the story of individuals and their journey. And as you uh, mentioned before we got on the show, you had had several businesses. But before we get into that, uh, what is kind of your journey uh, growing up and just your history, like where did you hang out with, where were you born, and then uh, just sort of your family of origin and what that uh, meant to you. Well, I appreciate you asking, Ken. I'll try to give you the 30,000-foot view and not bore you with too many details. I'm a native Nashvilleian. I live in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, now, you still live um, there. You, you haven't moved much. Hey, almost 60 years I've been here in Nashville, and I absolutely love it. I grew up in Madison, Tennessee, which is just eight miles north of Nashville. Came from a very poor family, have an amazing father, an amazing mom. Uh, my dad just didn't know how to make much money, so we lived in a really small house. Uh, two brothers and a sister. Uh, started working at a local pawn shop when I was 13 years old. I didn't even know what a pawn shop was when he hired me to work there. Started sweeping the floors, wiping the showcases off, and uh, that turned into just an amazing journey. Uh, 15 years old, decided that's what I was going to do for a living. Went to night school and summer school for 18 months. Had enough credits to graduate the beginning of my junior year in high school. Uh, met a couple of guys that had a lot of money because, like I said earlier, I didn't have any. And at 18 years old, I opened my first pawn shop. A year wow. later, a year later, I got married, and my wife was poorer than I was, and we were uh, sweethearts all through high school. And two weeks after she graduated high school, we got married. And I set her down in our 500-square-foot condo, and I said, Robin, we can't mess this up. Whatever we do, we'll never get this opportunity again, and we're going to take every dollar we make, pour it on the loan, and we're going to try to pay this 10-year loan off pretty fast. Well, we did. We paid it off in about 36 months. I paid off a $150,000 loan, and then I continued to repeat that exercise until I was 27. Okay, now, now, Aaron, I'm just going to stop you for a second because you already <laughs> have some, you have some rich history that you are skipping over. First of all, what did your parents do? What was your dad? My dad was a general contractor. He built houses, and he now, wasn't the fancy general contractor sitting in an office. My dad had the shovel and a hammer, and he built houses, and so he was the manual labor. That was that was uh, that was his thing. And now you mentioned that. Poor. So usually contractors do have some kind of profit, or was he just sort of giving to the neighborhood? My dad wanted to hunt and fish and spend time with his family. He didn't care anything about making money whatsoever. Matter of fact, we talked in later years, and I doubt that he ever made over $15,000 a year 
uh, the whole time I was at home as a child. Uh, we really were poor, <laughs> and that's okay, but my dad was a man of great integrity. Uh, he's a man of character. Uh, he wanted to spend time with his family, and on the weekends, he wanted to hunt and fish, and he just didn't care anything about making money, and so that's the environment that I came from. When you think about that, Aaron, what were some of the character traits that he instilled to you that you found valuable you know, here yeah. as a teenager getting into That's your a own great business. question. Yeah, that's a great question. My dad, Ken, you would have loved my dad. My dad was the kind of guy that would come in the room and immediately people would gravitate to him because he laughed. He was full of life. Uh, he was always there to help other people. He was an encourager. Uh, if you shook my dad's hand and he said, this is what we're going to do, you could bank on it. My dad uh, was a great man of character and his word was his bond. And so that's really helped me through the years to say, if I tell you I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And I'm always going to be there to share and to help. My dad was a very intentional relationship builder. Everyone loved him. And I tell a story, and we haven't got the time today on this to tell all the stories, but I will tell you one. When my dad passed away in 2006, he died of lung cancer. He was 75 years old. We stood at his coffin for six hours it took an hour and a half to get through the line. The line went down the hallway, out the front door, around the building in the parking lot for people to get in to see my dad. Every person that walked up to his casket, he said, let me tell you what your dad did for me. Let me tell you how your dad helped me. Let me tell you what your dad did for me at this given point in time. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you how your dad worked this out for me. Not one person said your dad had a nice boat or a nice house or a nice truck or a car. No one said that. It was all about the relationship. And grown men, 75 years old, tears streaming down their face were telling me this. Kids, 10 years old, 12 years old, were saying, hey, your dad was always fun. He was always bringing me candy. Your dad was an amazing man. And here's what's funny, Ken, to me. Mm -hmm. We spend 95% of our time trying to achieve success in our businesses and gain possessions. Yet not one person made a comment about a possession my dad had. It was all about the relationships. And I figured out that day when my dad died, I said, I need to spend an inordinate amount of energy building those relationships like my dad because the truth of the matter is that's what's really important to people today. Well, it's interesting, Aaron, and thank you for sharing that. But, you know, I just had another guest on, and one of the comments he was talking about through his new book was, you know, what's your legacy? What is, what is the legacy you're going to leave? Right. And what you're talking about, his legacy was relationship. But not only relationship, but positive relationship where he was pouring into other people's hearts, minds, businesses, and really not caring about what he was going to get back because that was not on his agenda, obviously. No, we used to fish together. I fished in a lot of professional tournaments, and he was my partner, and we did that for about 30 years. And every time we would go to a meetup, I would pull up in the truck, and uh, I'd get out, and they'd go, where's your dad? <laughs> I'm like, well, what about me? And they would just laugh, and they loved to see my dad. He was always having a great time, and it just really proves his legacy. The day we had his funeral, they had to open up all the partitions in the in the in the uh, place where they have your funeral and standing room only. They brought in chairs, and I was thinking, what a testament to a man's life that never made over $15,000 a year in his life, and there was standing room only mm -hmm. at his funeral. And so that was just amazing uh, What do they to say me. about the MasterCard? The MasterCard priceless, right? 
Well, it was priceless. You know, it really told me how much people loved my dad and what an instrumental figure he was in our community and uh, bridging those relationships. And he was just an amazing guy. And so mm -hmm. thank you for asking that. So, well, it's cool if you think about, you know, for the listeners, uh, and it is kind of a society right now that seems to be striving for things. We've never been more lonely. We've never been more uh, depressed. You know, what is it we're missing? Is Are we missing relationships? Is that what we're missing, Aaron? Well, I think so. Uh, Tim Elmore wrote a great book called uh, Generation Z, Unfiltered. And in the book, he talks about that that's kids born in 2001, uh, in you know newer, and he said that. So we're talking about you know 18 year old and less kids, and he said we're the most connected and we're the most lonely generation ever. And it's mm -hmm. all behind the microphone now. It's behind the screen, and we really are not teaching kids today how to interact on this personal relationship. And so I think that we've got to be very intentional, even more so today, because a lot of people are location independent. Uh, a lot of people can carry on their activities, you know, from behind the screen. Listen, let's face it. I mean, we're building a society that's doing this, and I don't want to make it bad because I love technology and I love what it can do for us. But well, you know, here we, we are, can, Aaron. We're, we're, we're I know we're talking parts of the world right? doing a podcast I love it. recording. I love Who it. would have thought that 20 years ago, right? Yeah, nobody would have, and it has added extreme benefit. But there's also a downside, and we can go into the grocery store now and get our groceries and check out at where there's no one, we don't have to speak to anybody or talk to anybody. And I think that can be very dangerous. And we have to really teach our grandchildren today to walk up to people and look them in the eye and shake their hand and say, yes, sir, and no, ma'am, and thank you, and uh, smile. And we have to teach those things uh, ever more now than ever before because we can get everything that we want online. And I don't want to make it a bad thing. It's a great thing if used in the right context. Well, again, we can do some transactional stuff online, but life is still about relationships. Now, Aaron, and thank you for that, here you are, just a teenager, getting into a pawn shop business. Where did you get the chutzpah and courage to pull that off? Well, here's the thing. I knew what I didn't want in life. I just wasn't sure what I did want. And what I didn't want to do was work as hard as my dad had to work. And I watched my dad sweep the snow off of roofs in the wintertime to re-roof them to get money uh, to buy food for our family. And I've watched my mom put canned goods up in the pantry and nail a board over it during the summer so we would have something to eat in the winter. And I thought, I don't want to work that hard physically. And it really lit a fire in me and gave me a lot of motivation to go out there and go for it. See, opportunity doesn't come knocking on your door. We have to go for it. And so when I was 18 years old, I went up to two guys that own the 21st largest insurance agency in the country. And I said, listen, I want to take your money and my experience and open our own pawn shop. And they started laughing. And they said, how old are you? I said, I'm 18. And he said, we've never had anybody 18 years old approach us and ask us for anything. And I said, well, listen, there's got to be a first time for everything. And I'm interested in doing this. I've got five years of experience now, and I know that we can do this. Well, it took me about two months to convince them of that. And then it took about another month to work out the details. But they agreed. They said, we're going to own two-thirds of it. You're going to own a third of it. You're going to put the sweat equity in, and we're going to go to the bank and borrow $150,000, and your name is going to be on the line, and you're going to do this. And if it succeeds, it's up to you. If it fails, then it's also up to you. 
And so I went in uh, with a vengeance, and we grew, and God just blessed it. He just continued to bless it, and we opened a number of stores. And then when I was 27, uh, a Fortune 500 approached us out of Fort Worth, Texas, and they made us an offer, and I couldn't refuse. And I said, <laughs> I said, the how, many greatest, store did, how many stores did you have? At we that had time? four stores. We had four. I owned a dozen stores, but at that time we had four. And I uh, sold two of them to one of my partners. I sold the Fortune 500, the other two, and it put me collectively in a position to where I could retire. I said, I'm done. And I thought, Ken, this is the American dream. We have a poor, Are you kidding me? <laughs> we have a poor kid from Nashville, Tennessee, broker and a convict, and nine years later, I'm able to retire. And I thought, this is the American dream. And it was for about 18 months. And then my wife woke me up one day from a nap. I was getting in the bed in the middle of the day. I gained 50 pounds, and she said, this is not what I signed up for. And I said, I don't have any reason to get up. I mean, you can only play so much golf. You can only fish so much. And then I was playing golf with guys 60 years old, and they were beating me, and that was pretty embarrassing. And so she looked at me one day. She said, I'm worried about you because you're depressed, you're bored, you've gained 50 pounds, and you're almost 30 years old. She said, you well, need to get up. You need to go do something. So, Aaron, take us through the emotional as much as you're willing to. What's going on? I mean, there's lots of listeners here who said, oh, man, I, just to be in Aaron's position, yeah. to be 27, have all the resources I need to be uh, retired, what's, what's going on? What can you share with the audience that was insightful in that 18 months that Maybe you did see coming or didn't see coming, or is what yeah. valuable for us? Ken, this is some great questions. Um, the first thing that I want to say is I hate it when I hear people with money go, money's not important. I want to go, you liar. Let's take it away from you. Let's see how important it is. So I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to okay. say money's not important. I love to make money. There's Money is great. It can provide you, you know, with mm -hmm. a great place to live and vacations, and you can help people, and there's so much you can do with money. So I don't want to undervalue what money means, first and foremost. Second of all, what was going in my mind when I was 18, 19, 20, 25 years old, if I can just make enough money to retire, then everything is going to be amazing. I wasn't even looking to retire at the time, but that was always the foremost thing that I thought about. It was like, man, when I get enough money to retire, I'll be able to live a life of leisure and things like that. Well, I was given that opportunity, and that's exactly what I did. And it was amazing for about 90 days. We went down to Naples, Florida. A friend of mine owned a house down there, and he said, use it for the summer. I stayed two weeks. <laughs> we came back, and I said, I'm going to go out of my mind. Like, I can only watch Andy Griffith so much. I can only play so much golf. I can only fish so much. And what I discovered, and I was too young to realize it, we've got to have purpose and meaning in our life. That's what we've got to have. If you're working today just to stop working, stop doing that. Don't do that. Because, listen, my buddies were still working. They were, you know, growing great careers, they had great businesses, they were making money, they were making a difference, and there I was sitting at home. It's like, I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. And I know many of you are thinking, you're crazy. Well, listen, seriously, believe me, it doesn't take long to become bored out of your mind because you've got to have some activity. You're, you've got to be pushing the ball down the field. You've got to be making a difference in other people's lives. You've got to be doing something 
is productive. And I didn't understand that at the time. Mm. So to make a long story short, I told you we're not even going to get through with my life story before the end of the interview. So my wife said, go do something. So I went back, started working for the guy that I did when I was a teenager. And so I started loaning money. Yeah, yeah, I did. I started giving him a day off. And so I started there one day a week. And then at the time, I knew how to grow businesses. So I started pouring money into the business, loaning him money. Well, about a year and a half in, I was pretty heavily involved. And I said, why don't we start a partnership? And this is the guy that told me when I was 18, I'd never owned part of the business. So I ended up owning 50% of the business. We spent the next 10 years growing his business and we quadrupled it in about nine nine and a half years so ken i've told you this whole story to get to this point so i'm 40 years old i've got a beautiful home setting up on a hill i've got every possession we've got a vacation home i don't tell you that to boast i'm just painting a picture two beautiful daughters i have a great wife i'm working three days a week my life is absolutely the best it could possibly be so I go to our church on Wednesday mornings, and our pastor is always there, and we usually get there between 4.30 and 5 o'clock in the morning, and we pray for our families, and we pray for the church, and uh, it's just a time that about eight or ten of us get together, and I did that for years. Well, that was no different. That was August 1st, 2001, so 18 years ago. I get in my car. I'm driving a brand-new 2001 Lincoln Navigator, candy apple red. It was beautiful. I get in that thing, and I'm headed to the office, and I get about a mile and a half from my office, and I look, and there's this guy crossing the road ahead of me. There's a four-lane highway I'm going down, two lanes going south, two going north. I'm headed south. This guy crosses the northbound lane, and he gets to the median, and he pauses, and he's waiting on me to pass because there's a bus stop, and so he's going to catch the bus. And so I sped back up, and I'm 45, 50 miles an hour going back. As soon as I get to this guy, he takes off running to catch the bus, and he didn't look my way. And I ran over a pedestrian. So I pull over to the side of the road. I'm shaking like a leaf, and I'm thinking, God, please don't let this be true. Surely this is a dream. I can't believe this is happening. And, Ken, I don't know if you've ever had anything really like a catastrophe happen in your life, but it feels like everything slows down. Literally, I have. Yeah, I have. it felt like I was watching a movie. It was an out-of-body experience. And so I grabbed my cell phone. I'm trying to dial 911, and I'm thinking, this really, this didn't happen to me. And all these thoughts start going through my mind, I'm trying to live right. I've got two beautiful kids. My life is amazing, and I have run over somebody. So I finally got the courage to look behind me, and cars are stopping everywhere. And I dial 911. I finally am able to dial 911. I stopped my hand shaking to a point where I could dial 911. Police, police cars, ambulances, paramedics, they started coming from everywhere. I get out of the car and I walk over. This guy's motionless. He's laying face down in the street. And I walk up and the police get there and they go over and look at him. And I said, please tell me he's okay. And uh, they said, I don't know. I don't know if he's okay or not. And I said, uh, well, he's, he's got to be okay. And they said, no, I don't know. So they turned him over and they put him on the gurney and they said he's got severe head trauma. And I'm praying, God, please let this man be okay. Well, 
they put me in the back of the police car and they start asking me questions. They start asking questions around all the people that had witnessed it and they all testified I wasn't doing anything wrong. This guy just ran out in front of me. And so they let me go and they said they would be in contact. Well, Saturday morning, that was on a Wednesday, Saturday morning, they called me up. It was 9.30 in the morning and they said, Mr. Walker, um, his name is Enrique and he didn't make it. And uh, I didn't know what to think, you know. I mean, I, I had no idea what to do from here. And so I called uh, my legal counsel and I said, listen, uh, here's what's happened. And he said, whatever you do, don't call the family, whatever you do. So he finished telling me what I should do and what I shouldn't do. And I hung up the phone. I went and talked to Robin and uh, my wife. And I said, I, there's, there's no way I can't call the family. So I found out how to get in touch with him, and I called his family, and his daughter answered the phone. And I said, I don't even know what to say. Uh, I said, but my legal counsel obviously told me not to call you, but, I mean, that's not the right thing to do. And the girl said, Mr. Walker, she's from the Philippines, and she said, Mr. Walker, we've talked to everybody, and everybody has said you weren't at fault, and uh, it was a horrific automobile accident, and there will be no legal proceedings, uh, we, we understand it was our dad's fault. He was 77 years old. He just couldn't see. We found out later that he had been warned over and over not to travel alone, and that day he couldn't see. Well, I tell you the story to tell you this. Hmm. I went five years. I sold the business. I couldn't handle the stress, so I sold the business. And, now you couldn't uh, handle the stress of the accident plus the store or... Yeah, I, cu I couldn't handle the stress of what I had been involved in. Okay. And so I decided to sell the business. So I went to my partner, worked out a deal with him. I financed the sale of the business over the next 10 years. And I said, I've got to take a break. So I spent five years, and I didn't do anything. I went to counseling. I had people around me that helped me, good friends, close, close associates, helped walk me through this. And Robin came to me one day, five years into this, Again, woke me up from a nap. I got an amazing wife. Mm. Woke me up from a nap, and she said, listen, you've gained all this weight back again uh, because I was eating, you know, just out of control. And she said, uh, you've got kids and future grandchildren that depend on you and are counting on you, and you've got to shake this off, and, and you've, got to, you've got to get back to work. She was right, and I was thankful, and so we went in the construction business. But here's what I discovered, Ken, in that five-year period, and you've already mentioned it a little bit. You've touched on it, is legacy. I started thinking about that, and I thought, what would my legacy have been had I been the one that had gotten killed that day? And what it, here's what it would have been. Poor kid from Nashville, Tennessee, makes enough money to retire at age 27, and nobody cares. And I felt so guilty over that. What I wanted my legacy to be was how Ken's life and others are better as a result of having interacted with me. I wanted the legacy that my dad had for people to stand there and go, man, because of you, my life is different. And so I said, God, if you'll give me another chance, I'll change my, fo my focus outward instead of inward. And that's what we've been able to do for the past six or seven years now. I retired eight years ago when I turned 50, and now we started View from the Top to where we help ordinary people become extraordinary in all they do. And 
Today we have 15 masterminds, 150 members from eight different countries, and I get to help them make a difference in their life and the lives of the people that they influence on a daily basis. Mm. Well, thank you for that, Aaron, and of course I appreciate your story, and you know, the story is very powerful. If I may ask, and, I, and you don't have to answer, Aaron, if you don't want to, what are the reasons it took five years, you think? Yeah, I mean, you just don't run over and kill somebody and get over it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, you have to work through that. That was somebody's husband. That was somebody's dad. That was somebody's brother. That was somebody that lived in the community that had done very well for themselves. And I had to work through. That's a lot of anguish to work through. And I'm replaying in my mind, could I have done something different? Mm -hmm. You know, thank God I wasn't on the phone. I don't drink. And so I wasn't participating in any kind of alcohol. If I had, I probably wouldn't have got over it. And I just want to tell you all, those that are texting and driving, and I can't say I haven't done that, but you can put yourself in my place and you run over somebody or you run over a kid because you were texting or on Facebook uh, you're going to look back and go, I'll never get over this. Thank God I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't speeding. It was an accident. But nonetheless, I had to work through that. And it took a lot of counseling, it took a lot of people to help me kind of work through that. I was very thankful that I had the resources that I could retire uh, because if I couldn't, it would have been very difficult to handle being an entrepreneur with as busy as we were and as much we had going on mm -hmm. and still have to work through that process. Another reason to have trusted advisors and great friends because you are only a phone call away from working through something that's very horrific and tragic yourself and we need to have trusted advisors around us. That's why we lead these mastermind groups because isolation is the enemy to excellence. And if you want to really go forward in your life, you've got to be in community. You've got to have people around you to help you work through these difficult situations. Well, thank you, Aaron, for that. And you bring up a point about, you know, as entrepreneurs and people who are operating on their own, and there's more and more doing that, especially when we think about the virtual workforce. This whole idea of embarrassment or shame or, you know, maybe I haven't done as much as I could and, and I don't want the group to know about that and you know I'm what, what would you say to people are hesitating yeah. <clears throat> because when we think about the profession that's growing more than just about any other profession and that's coaching or mentoring whatever way format you want to set that up what would you say to an individual who is hesitating to reach out to somebody else just to say you know what I really kind of feel like uh, I could have done more and maybe they don't feel like a failure but they certainly don't feel like the success they want it to be and they just don't want to expose that to somebody else, what would you say to that group yeah. who hesitates for those reasons? Well, the truth is the vast majority of people today are living a facade. They've got things in their life that they need to deal with, whatever that may be. And a lot of people are like, hey, no, I'm good. I get it. But the truth is, is we want most people to think we've got it all together in every arena of our life. Now, let's 
say the reality of it is we're all knuckleheads, right? We're trying to figure it out. We're going along. We may be good at a few things, but there's some things that we just don't have figured out yet. We just can't. And the people that really excel in life are the people that get trusted advisors that are non-biased around them so that they can be totally honest. They can let that facade down, that veil that we're living behind. We can let that down, and now we can get down to the brass tacks. We can get down to who you really are. And we can understand what your superpowers are, the places that you're really good. But there's also an Achilles heel. There, there, there's also blind spots that we're living in each and every day. And the best thing that other people can bring is perspective because mm. we all only have one life filter. We only have the situations that we've experienced. We can only feel one way and see things one way based on our past experiences. But when you get in a room with 8 or 10 or 12 people that don't have anything to gain or lose as a result of telling you the way it is, the real truth, it takes us to the next level faster because we get down to something that's solid that we can build from. And you say, okay, this is an area I'm not really good in. And it's embarrassing and I wish that it weren't this way, but the truth of the matter is you can't be perfect at every arena, and this is something I'm not good at, and I need your help. And when you do that, it really endears you to other people. Most people say, well, if they know this about me, they won't like me. That is not true. That is mm. just not true. And you know from your past experience, Kim, when you're talking to people, when they open up and they let you in, it allows you to share now and be more vulnerable and more transparent and more authentic. Listen, it is miserable living a dual life. It is miserable trying to remember what you said or to cover this track. But when one guy shows up or one lady shows up and you tell the same jokes, to everybody. You drink the same thing in front of everybody. You watch the same programs that you should, regardless of who's there. The way you live your life, when it's authentic, you don't have those burdensome, those troubled areas, and you're real. And that's what engages other people. And I just want to encourage you today that other people are not talking about your failures and your faults like you think they are. I call it the 18-30-60 rule. When you're 18, you think everybody is talking about you. When you're 30, you don't care. And when you're 60, you find out nobody was talking about you mm -hmm. to begin with. And I want to encourage you today, take off the mask, get people around you that are really true, that can help you, that have the same core values as you, and live a life of transparency and authenticity and you watch how much better you feel and you watch how much progress you make as a result of it. Now, thank you for that, Eric. Let's just backtrack for a second and that is how did, how did you come to believe or these mentorship or mind mastermind groups, how did that come about uh, sort of you know, in this vacuum that you were living yeah. in? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question because I'd given anything when I was in my 20s or 30s if I'd had a group of people that I could have done exactly what I just described to you to do. But So in the early 90s, 94, 95, I was at a Chamber of Commerce breakfast, and there was this guy there speaking, talking about a money show that he was going to do on the radio. And I thought, well, this is pretty interesting. So I go up and meet the guy after I get through, and I said, that's interesting what you were talking about. He goes, yeah, I'm going to teach people how to get out of debt. And uh, he went on and telling me about it, and I thought, well, that's pretty interesting. I said, have you started yet? And he said, yeah. He said, I'm on one radio station here in Nashville. And I said, I just built a brand-new building right down the road. I want you to come check it out. So he got in the car and followed me down there. We walked in, and 
I just built about a 10,000 square foot state-of-the-art pawn shop. It was amazing. Truly, it was amazing. And so he walked in and he said, this is unbelievable. He said, uh, this is the kind of shop I want advertising on my show. He said, would you advertise on my program? I said, no, I'm not going to, I don't even know you. I just met you 30 minutes ago. And he said, listen, I'll give you a week free if you'll just try me. And I thought about it for a minute. And I said, well, I have nothing to lose. And I said, sure, okay, I'll do it for one week. And that's all I'm doing. Well, that was my first encounter with Dave Ramsey. Dave had just started his radio show called The Money Game, he and Roy Matlock here in Nashville. And so three days into that, I called him and I said, this is unbelievable. People are running in here buying some of this stuff. I want to sign up and do advertising with you every day. And he said, you'll have to sign an annual contract. And I said, you got to be kidding. He said, no, you've got to sign an annual contract. You've got to advertise every day for a year. And I thought, if it's anything like what is happening now, I'll be happy to do it. Well, Ken, I spent the next 21 consecutive years being Dave's sponsor. Dave and I became very good friends over the course of almost three decades now. Now, Aaron, I would say that most people would know who Dave Ramsey is. But for sure. those listening who sure. don't know, he's one of the top experts around financial fiscal management, has a podcast, has books, has training programs. So that is kind of amazing story that you cross paths with that gentleman. Well, I appreciate that. A couple of years after that, I was at a Mercy Me concert, and um, Robin and I had gone. It was on a Sunday night, and we were at the Mercy Me concert, and Dave was sitting three rows in front of me, and I didn't even know he was there. And he got up at the intermission, and he walked by, and he said, uh, hey, I want to talk to you for a minute. And I said, hey, okay, I didn't even know you were here. And he said, yeah. He said, I like Mercy Me. And he said, I'm going to start a mastermind group in my office. We're going to meet on Wednesday mornings. He said, uh, I want to invite you to participate. There's going to be 10 men there, and I want you to be one of them. And I said, I don't even know what a mastermind group is. And he started laughing, and he said, you just come to my office Wednesday morning, uh, 7 o'clock, and I'll introduce you to the guys. So I went. I didn't want to go, Ken, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. I went. And I was very reluctant, very hesitant to go. So I go in there, and I sit down, and he starts introducing me to these other guys that he had invited to be in the group. Well, some of you may have heard or not, we were called the Eagles. And we met in Dave's office for over 10 or 12 years. We met every Wednesday morning. And there were people like Ken Abraham in there. He's written 95 books to date. Uh, Dan Miller, 48 Days to the Work You Love. One of the guys that he invited was Jeff Mosley, and Jeff Mosley owned a record label, and Mercy Me is one of his groups. And so he was in the group. A uh, number of other guys, great guys. The point of the story, though, is they weren't then who they are today. And because we met, because they had accountability, because they had a safe place to go, many of these guys' businesses exploded as a result of it. And so we just had a great time doing that. Well, when I retired eight years ago, Dave and Dan said, what are you going to do now? And I said, I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> I said, I've been working since I was 13. I'm 50 now. I'm going to go down to the Caribbean and sit on the front porch of one of those tiki huts, and I'm going to rock myself into an oblivion. I was trying to get a laugh out of the room. Nobody laughed. And Dan leaned over, and he looked at me, and he said, that's the most selfish thing I've ever heard you say. I said, what do you mean? I said, I've been working since I was 13, man. I'm exhausted. I'm ready for a break. He said, you need to coach. I said, I'm not coaching. I'm not coaching anybody. He said, no, man, listen. He said, you've got over 30 years of marriage now. You've owned a dozen businesses. He said, you need to coach. 
So I go home and I talk to Robin about it, and we pray about it a little bit. And I came back the following Wednesday, and Dave said, come and be my guest at Entree Leadership Mastery. I think you'll enjoy it. So I went, I fell in love with it. It was amazing. Plus, it was a $10,000 gift. You know, I said, how can I pass this up? So we're having a blast for a week at this. Dan said, come and do Innovate out at the sanctuary. And I said, okay. So I went, did Innovate. And so we're around these round tables, and we're telling our story, and we're encouraging one another. I get in the car to drive home. We all live here in Nashville. So I get in the car, and I'm driving home, and I get a text on my phone, and it's from Dan Miller. And he said, Big A, he said, did you see the way the people at your table were leaning in, listening to your story? And I said, well, maybe I'm just a good storyteller. He said, no. He said, you have something to say. You've been very successful. And you have something to teach these people. You and Robin have had an amazing marriage. By the way, Ken, I celebrate 40 years of marriage this June. I'm fired up about that. Well, congratulations. Congratulations. So I started coaching, and then we started doing podcast interviews, and our business just exploded. Well, I said, I can't coach all the people. And then I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start a mastermind because I know how to do mastermind. I've been doing it for decades now. So I started Iron Sharpens Iron Mastermind, and the rest is kind of history. You know, now we have 150 people in eight different countries, and we're having a blast, and that's what we get to do today. Well, Aaron, like you said, uh, there was not enough time in the podcast to cover all the bases. However, we just have a few minutes left, but I want <laughs> – excuse me – ask a couple of questions. What are some of the best insights you have captured through the mastermind that you would share with the listeners, things that are actionable sort of things that come out of these masterminds that maybe there's a theme or an essence uh, beyond the principle of, you know, the hanging out with some people that can give you feedback, unfiltered feedback, real feedback. What are some of the other things that you've learned from these groups that you could share with the listeners? Well, I touched on a few of them earlier, but first of all, perspective is the best thing that you could possibly get because you only have one, and in these masterminds, you can have 10 other perspectives that can open doors like nothing else can. The other thing is the accountability. There's so many things in my life that I probably wouldn't do on my own, but when I know I've got to go next week and report back, I'm going to do the thing that I said I was going to do because I'm a man of my word, and these people hold me accountable. The other thing is mindset. Our success happens first in our mind. And if we've got a failure mentality, uh, that's not going to serve us well long term. Carol Dweck talks about having a growth mindset. The mastermind gives you that. And I always say fear having missing an opportunity more than you fear failure. And if you do couple that with a great mindset of I can do something, my mom had a little saying when I was a kid, can't, couldn't do it, and could, did it all. So if you develop a mindset of you're fearful of missing an opportunity and you've got a can-do attitude, I would say success is uh, knocking at your door as well. The other thing is consistency. That's our best tool. And we miss that. Procrastination is our biggest enemy. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it next week. I'll do it next mm -hmm. month. But when you have a team of people around you, we say, no, we're going to do it this week. And when you do it this week, you have a measure of success. It builds that confidence in you. And so the consistency. And then the next thing you know, you know you've got a lot of leverage now because you've had some success. And I could never do what I've done on my own. And you can't either, regardless mm -hmm. of who you are listening to this. We were created to be in community. 
And if you want to really excel in your life, you've got to subject yourself to the scrutiny of other people, and you've got to get into an environment where they'll be honest and trustworthy, and they'll tell you the truth from non-biased persons. And when you have those ingredients, you too can be successful. Mm. Well, thank you for that, Aaron. Now, Aaron, we're going to get a couple more words of wisdom from you, but before we get that, how can people find out more about you and your mastermind groups and all those other different components? How can they contact you or find well, out? Well, I appreciate it. Thank you, Ken. The best place to go is viewfromthetop.com. But if I could mention something just for a second, the thing that we're most excited about right now is uh, the Mastermind Playbook. Um, the Mastermind Playbook is a tool that we've built to teach you how to build your own mastermind. And so if you're looking to start one, if you can't find one you like, uh, let us uh, help you on that journey. And the best place to go there is themastermindplaybook.com forward slash Aaron. Those are two places that you could go that we feel that would add a wealth of knowledge and experience to help you accomplish your dreams and goals. Thanks, Aaron. Now, Aaron, you said you have a special gift for Secrets of Success listeners. Where can they go to get Yeah, I do. If you'll go to viewfromthetop.com forward slash Secrets of Success, there are two documents that we have given you. It's a personal assessment and what do I want. And just go there and download those, and it'll help you really work through who you are as an individual. And we really help you uncover uh, what is most important in your life by discerning uh, what do I want out of this life? And those two free resources are there at viewfromthetop.com forward slash secrets of success. And for those of you listening, if you're driving, we'll have all of this in the show notes and whatever platform you're listening on. So Aaron, it's been a delight to have you as a parting gift to the listeners. What's your last bit of wisdom beyond what you've shared so far that you want yeah, to encourage the, the listeners with? Well, I would just say don't let anybody steal your dream. If you want to do something, I've proven that I've taken, you know, with a high school education, and my wife said I've retired more than the law allows. You know, three times I've retired, and I'm having more fun, and we probably make more money today than we've ever made in our life because I didn't allow the naysayers to get in my way. Surround yourself with people that's going to tell you the truth but not naysayers. You need to really trim them out of your life. Let them undergird you. Let them edify you and hold your arms up when you get tired and push you to that next level and if you do that you can have a life that's full of adventure and you can enjoy listen this is not a practice run this is our real mm -hmm. life and we don't want to miss the opportunities that are before us so if you've got a dream put the consistency to it put the mindset to it and go out there and go for it well Aaron what a delightful time to have with you you guys have been listening to Aaron Walker thanks Aaron Thanks, Ken. I sure enjoy being with you today, buddy. Thanks a okay. lot. Uh, you stay there. And so, Secrets of Success listeners, uh, Aaron Walker, View from the Top, and we'll have all the links in there. And when we think about it, you know, doing it on your own is actually kind of lonely. It's not as much fun. There are people out there that want to collaborate, work together, be a mastermind. So think about that. Where Step out of the shell. Don't be worried of what other people are going to think as Aaron has talked about. As always, we thank you for the most valuable commodity that you're sharing with us. That's your time. Leave us a positive message, a rating on any platform that you are listening. Share it with those that you care about. We thank you for listening. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keith.
thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.